Good morning, and welcome back to the Patreon-exclusive podcast, Friends of Dorothy. My name is B. Peterson, I'm your host, with me as always is... Adoring second mate, uh, Mark Edward Hoyk. Uh, you might be second mate, but you'll always be first in my heart. <laughs> uh, Alright. Um... We're back to Cuker, friends. We're back to Cuker. We're back to uh, good movies. We're back to happy movies. We're back to a film where no one dies, which it's been a while. Yes. <laughs> um, I was so I was so pleasantly su- pleasantly uh, uh, surprised by how light this film was in comparison to what we've been going through lately. I mean, I think we haven't seen a film where no one has tragically died since um since our last episode of Dance Dorothy Dance with Craig's wife. Yeah, and you know, nothing died except hope. <laughs> right. Yeah, and if you want to go back to a purely like, you know, oh, happy well, oh film, wait, then... wait. Uh her mom died. Oh, oh, you're right. Or was it her sister? Yeah, uh, her sister. It was her sister. All right, so never mind. All the way till back till we get to Paramount on Parade. Um, with, no, but then even Dorothy Arzner section is about Ruth Chatterton losing her lover in the war. Oh, well, uh, th- there's... But there's also the Clara Bow segment. Well, uh, actually, uh, I, I don't know why this didn't come up. Uh, I stumbled across a Dorothy Arzner interview, and she... Uh, Oh, she had said that there's only one segment that she did in Paramount oh. on Parade. Okay, so then it's either the Ruth Chatterton or the Clara Bow. Which do you think? Oh, no, no. She specified which one it was. Oh, which one was it? Uh, I am going to uh, f- uh, find it right now because I'm hoping that uh, once I found it that I put it into... In, in, into the Wikipedia, but well, no, I haven't gotten uh, haven't gotten to that level of compulsiveness yet. Oh, darn it! Well, it is. Uh, there is a batch of interviews that uh, we've been uh, looking looking at that I found, and in that in that interview set, she uh, acknowledged uh, the one segment which she was responsible for. So. Do you remember? Was it the Ruth Chatterton one? Was it the Clara Bow? I think it was neither. That's that's oh. the that's the frightening thing. Weird. Weird. Yeah. It... All right. <laughs> um, okay. So I guess um, from one, um, uh, oops, we messed up to another. I have to apologize. On last episode of uh uh friends of dorothy and talking about the toy wife um i referred to that robert young looks a lot like beck bennett i com- i always get these two confused it's alex moffat that i was thinking of alex moffat is the snl cast member who looks like robert young please forgive me okay i found the interview it's the vagabond king the vagabond king which one's that uh the the gallows song the Gallows song? It's the uh, segment with uh, Skeets Gallagher and uh, Dennis King, which, uh, the techni- uh, according to Wikipedia, the Technicolor footage survives. Oh, wait, so we didn't even watch it. <laughs> yeah. Ah! <laughs> Nuts! <laughs> oh, well, isn't that just perfect? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, I guess so. Well, I mean, okay, because I've got, like, we're assembling the Dorothy Arzner box set, and I've got the Paramount on Parade DVD. It doesn't even have that on it, so it's just kind of there for posterity, I guess. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, I wish, yeah, who who was it? Was it UCLA that restored that? Yes, yeah. Well, probably, yes. So, yeah, maybe... Maybe we'll we'll have to we'll have to tr- someday we're gonna we're gonna watch that and then we'll 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 come back to dance Dorothy dance and say hey Paramount on Pol- Parade Redux or mm-hmm. <laughs> all right well um okay uh that was a chaotic beginning to the to our our <laughs> our episode of but appropriate because to- Zaza is a Paramount picture yes we're back to Paramount yeah um and we're back to, and we're back to Qcore. And we're back to uh, uh, delightful films. Uh, so uh, this is the night Cuker's 1938/1939. It opened in Hollywood at the end of December, but it technically opened wide in the U.S. in January of 1939. Um, this is a Claudette Colbert joint, um, uh, uh, Herbert Marshall, uh, and it's uh, uh, once again uh, written by Zoe Akins. It's adapted from a play. Um, Another French play, mm-hmm. right? Um, this one, thankfully, uh, is centered on vaudeville and not the South, and not the and not the the U.S. vaudeville, which was also incredibly racist. Um, but anyway, I'm just I'm so I'm so glad that this 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 after last week I was kind of you know shell shocked of like oh dear what's next and it turns out this was a relatively just very pleasant film. Um, Zaza is the story of Zaza, a a singer, dancer, vaudeville performer, um, and it's her. It's about her relationship with a man. It's this is interesting because we're we're not in like these a world of high society anymore. This is just kind of regular people now. Well, regular there performers. is the implication of a class divide because this is still. The late 1800s, where showbiz folk were, you know, still regarded as kind of dodgy by uh, proper society. In the original, in the original source material, that uh, Zaza was a prostitute before she was a, a music hall girl. Well, there you go. Um... And and, and the, that uh, you know, at the beginning of uh, the the movie, you know, she is constantly looking for swells to keep company with because they're going to help pay the bills. So she's she's definitely still kind of a social climber mm-hmm. and uh the the man that she ultimately gets in, uh involved with is living well enough to have uh multiple residences. Right, which <laughs> turns out to be important later. Um but uh but what I did but it wasn't it was I don't know, maybe not a nice change of pace, but it was interesting to see a film um that isn't like, you know, explicitly about like, ooh, she's poor and she's trying to make it No, this is just this is a very this this is a light film. Um but she is a vaudeville performer and she shows up somewhere outside we're in France I don't remember if we ever get the name of where she is, but we're not in Paris. No, we're 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 in uh you know, we're not in the the nice part of France. We're like in, you know, a rural part, small town, 
Yeah, no. So instead of every town USA, it's it's um, Everyville, France. And she is a vaudeville performer. Um, she has her little gang of, of friends. Uh, we've got um, her costumer helper maid kind of person, just all around helper, uh, uh, Natalie, played by Constance Collier. Um, we have her mother figure, um, Anai, who's played Anais. by Helen West. Anais, forgive me. Um, Helen Wesley, um, who likes the drink. And then we have her manager slash co-performer. Um, oh, I forgot to write down his name, the name of the character. Bert Lars, the actor. Um, and Cascard. Yes, Cascard. And you might have seen Bert Lar in something. He, I, what was it? He, oh, that's right. He played the cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz. So mm-hmm. this was uh, this film uh, directly uh, preceded The Wizard of Oz. And yeah, Bert Lar, just incredibly, incredibly charming. Um, absolutely delightful in this film. They are at in this small town at this um, at this vaudeville uh, uh, show, and the entire first act of this movie, and like this is where it's like you know your theatrical roots are showing. Um, the entire first act of this movie is just one night at the theater, and what I loved about it is a lot of it is in real time, which was something that was just really neat to see. Um, but it's it's Zaza and. After the beginning, the opening scenes of the film is basically introducing where they are, the relationship dynamic, and she's run into this one man, uh, uh, Dufresne, um, who's played by Herbert Marshall. And then the first act of the play is essentially just at the night, um, they're in their third week of performance, and he finally shows up. Well, actually, I'm sorry, I just well actually you. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) There, one of the characters references the fact that Dufresne has been coming to the show for oh, three yes, that's weeks, right. that's but right. has never once attempted to meet Zaza. That yes. when they first meet at the train station, he's like, oh, I can't possibly come. I have too many obligations. But of course, he's been going ever since he found out where the show was. And he's there and he's accompanied by his buddy, who's also a songwriter. I think um, yes. He's he's played by Rex O'Malley, um, who played Gaston, um, the gay character in Camille. So I, it was nice to see him again. Mm-hmm. I don't know if his character is supposed to be gay coded here as well, in the sense that he's a songwriter and you know he's hanging backstage with uh, the the women, but he's not actively you know lusting after them. So right. I mean, he might as well be Michelle Legrand. Yeah, uh, he is with is with Dufresne, and and basically the the whole first act is uh, uh, Zaza, who is having a the, just the time of her life. Um, she is the most beloved of all of the performers, even though she's second billed to Floriana, um, uh, who, which uh, Floriana does not uh, uh, love, um, but she's. She's basically just trying to get him to come back. He needs to come back. And and talking with Rex O'Malley, and he's like, okay, fine. And they make a bet on it. And the whole first act is just this delightful, delightful, um, you are there, little 
little uh, uh, drama playing out of will he, won't he? And then when he does, how far is this going to go? Because it goes further than you might think for a film made in production code. The, the, the running gag is that Cascard is always after her to get you know, ready for her number. And she's like, no, I'll be ready in 15 seconds. Yeah. To the point where everyone else already knows, oh, yeah, she always says 15 seconds. And yet she's always on time and she always makes her mark and she always makes the audience love her. So they kind of just have to let her get away with it. She's but, already yeah. got uh, the men wrapped around her finger. You know, she shows up late for the performance in a carriage full of men that, you know, they've got various articles of hers, some of which she retrieves, some of which she leaves with them as souvenirs. Uh, her stepmother, Anais, has been trying to push her into getting involved with this uh, wealthy man named Marchand, who she can't stand that uh, she's, that uh, according to uh, the all-movie guide that she repeatedly calls him a pig and the Hayes office said you can only call him a pig twice. The best scene of this movie and the, or, or rather my favorite scene of this movie is or the most surprising scene of the movie or whatever. It's This movie is about the seduction scene um, because once he finally does get urged to come back after seeing her perform yet again um, it's just like Dang, she's she's good, and the whole thing is like if just just come back for five minutes, and he's like, well, if I come back there for five minutes, I may not leave at all, and and everyone's like, that's what we're counting on, uh, that's what we're betting on, and he does come back, and they manage to get Zaza and Dufresne in a room together, and oh my word, <laughs> Colbert is after him. They both know what they're doing. Like they, you know, th within seconds they know that he knows. Oh, she's gonna try and keep me here, and she knows. Oh, he's going to try and duck out, and th that they're they're on to each other's tricks. So it's this, you know, pas de deux uh, mm -hmm. be between them over over who's gonna have the stronger will, and it, you know, for a moment it looks like that she's lost because he has left and she's like, oh, okay, back to the show. Or back to rehearsal. But just before she's supposed to do the the number, he shows up and it's like, oh, you stayed, but it screws up uh, her entrance in the sketch. Every, every little beat in that seduction scene, if you will, where it's just the back and forth. Oh, could you just could you just help me practice these lyrics? Oh, let me look over your shoulder. Oh, let me just kind of get in your lap um, as you read me these lyrics about a love song. And oh, I'm going to sing them back to you now. And oh, you pricked your finger. Oh, let me just kiss it for you. Oh, uh, Natalie, Natalie, where are you? Natalie winks and is like, oh, I'm not here. Oh, Natalie's not here. Can you help undo my dress? Like, it's just every little bit in here is just so spicy and and eventually like their their mouths get so close to each other on so on several occasions and it's just it's just this great build up attention right and then he finally leaves but then he was only left to get white roses and, and yeah and it's a great little bit where where uh, uh Bert Lahr just yells out his yells who will out her take me there yes who will take who will me there, take me there? <laughs> And and they're just making out off stage. 
<laughs> yeah, and that's the first act of this movie. It's just it. I was shocked. It was like so that was like the third scene of the movie, and oh wow, we're already forty minutes into the movie. I was like, oh dang, this is like the that first section is really just it's in real time, like. As to to quote Danny Boyle when he received the script for um, uh, Aaron Sorkin's Steve Jobs is just like and then it just says ongoing ongoing on every single page and you're like when is this going to end? Um, but it's just it's just one long great moment and and yeah it's just it's really good filmmaking. Um, you the pacing is great. Um, the editing the geography is something that like you might not take into account here just because of how small the scene is but like everything is really really well choreographed and outlined and also all of the performances that we see going on are also quite good um people keep making light of how uh floriana can't really sing she can sing though (laughs) like she does fine yeah that you know she's she's an she's an adequate singer she's just not a particularly memorable one Yes. She can hit the notes, but she doesn't have any particular panache. Every time she came on screen, I was like, oh, yeah, Lucille Ball was really good in Dance Girl Dance. Like, that was kind of what happened. <laughs> well, the funny the funny thing is, uh, the actress playing Florianne bears a disturbing resemblance to Vivian Vance, the foil to uh, I Love Lucy. I, I, I haven't. It's been years since I've seen any I Love Lucy. Good on you for making the observation. Um, then we get to Act Two. Um, in Act Two, um, the first act was the seduction. Act Two is the revelation, and it's all about how uh, six months have passed once again. Um, six months with just one little fade out, fade in, and it's six months later. Oh, I love it when movies do this. I don't know why, but I just love it when movies do this. Like, hey, I haven't seen you in six months. Just like those little. <laughs> It turns out that she, uh, Zaza has pretty much stopped performing. Um, she's off with Dufresne now, and she's just in the throes of passion. Um, and but it turns, but the first scene that we get is uh, Bert Lahr comes back to the venue. The show is now closed, and they're trying to work on new material. And Bert Lahr's got some new stuff, but Zaza won't perform, and he aims to basically get her back through the rev- information, some information of some knowledge. Um, some information of some knowledge. Wow, I'm good with words, aren't I? It turns out that Dufresne has been maybe perhaps not lying, but he's he's been omitting some things. Turns out, because um, eventually they all come to... Dufresne is leaving off to Paris. He's going back to Paris after being... And he's going to be going off to America soon for a couple months for business or something or other. But... And uh, uh, Zaza would really like to go with him, but he's like, no, I don't think so. Mm. Um, and she's like, fine, fine, whatever. I'll see you off to the station, though. And But then everyone comes over, and, it, and the information is revealed that <gasps> he's married. <laughs> that while Bert Lahr was in Paris, he saw um, Dufresne go leave a theater with another woman. Um, and before they got into the carriage, he says, let's go get some chocolate. <gasps> uh, apparent, uh, apparently, fancy ladies uh, like chocolate, specifically to drink. Right, yes. They're, they're drinking chocolate. That's the sophisticated drink. And it led to just 
two lines, which I will probably be using. Like, it's going to go into my, uh, 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 what do you call, not litany. Uh, uh, lexicon. Revolving. Yeah, lexicon, whatever. My, my thing of quotes of movies is two of them. Um, one, at one point, once she, once Zaza is told all of this and she has this, you know, breakdown, she's, she gets, she's a first, like, goes through all the stages. She's in denial and then grieve, but she settles eventually in anger and, um, she's going to go to Paris and she's going to confront this woman. She's going to go see what's, what's this all about. And at one point she's reaching under her bed to like grab her shoes and she just says, chocolate, ugh, and then, um, and then the scene scene ends into this brilliant montage of her face overlaying of these railroad tracks, and then uh, carriage wheels, and then an elevator. It's just what beautiful, beautiful scene transition montage of her face, just super angry, and then contemplative, and then kind of worried, just gradually getting more nervous as she approaches the room. But the the line that segues into that montage is like, "I'll give her chocolate." <laughs> 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 yeah, well, uh, well uh, a, a good moment to bring out the fact that uh, unlike other uh, productions of Zoe Aiken's material, uh, both Claudette Colbert and Bert Lahr are not making any attempt to sound French. Uh, the only, no. <laughs> the, only, the only concession that Claudette makes to trying to sound French is that she keeps saying zut a lot. Yeah, so the second act, I mean, this movie really is just a breeze. Like, you just you just fly through it. I mean, and we're kind of just flying through it here because there's not, like, the scenes are very simple in nature. The information conveyed, like, there's not a whole ton of, like, plot. Like, Camille and um and uh the toy wife these are these are films that are kind of chock full of incident there's so much going on mm-hmm. and this one is so very straightforward it's a, it's a will they or won't they yeah but within though within this moment it's not like it's just dead air and it's not like it's only 45 minutes long but there's just these a lot of just great like musical moments that happen throughout this film that keep you rolling there's a great bit where um, they're playing on where uh, Bert Lahr is trying to convince her to come back to performing. And she, he just starts playing on the piano and singing. And then she comes over and just starts singing along with him. And it's just this beautiful little moment. Again, I started looking down at the keyboard and like, eh, he's not actually playing the piano, but whatever. It's just these, <laughs> these moments of, of kinship between all of these different characters, between Natalie and um and Anais and these people like there's these people clearly know each other and have affection for each other even if they're kind of at each other's throats some of the time it's the the character work here is really really great mm-hmm. and uh, yes there are uh, three songs uh, featured in this and they're all uh, written by uh, Frederick Hollander who wrote uh, Falling in Love Again for Marlena Dietrich in The Blue Angel. And to uh, a degree, there's kind of uh, a similar, there's a little bit of kinship between this film and The Blue Angel, uh, because in a sense, they're both about doomed romances between uh, music hall women and respectable men. And of course, even though it was made in Germany by Ufa, uh, Marlena Dietrich was very closely tied to Paramount, 
in the 30s. Her and Sternberg migrated to America and did several movies there. And uh, Paramount released uh, The Blue Angel when it first uh, came, came to the States. So, it, so it's mining that kind of familiar territory. And it all builds to the scene where she's here to confront the wife. Um, and so her and, uh, or Zaza and, um, her, I don't, Natalie, I'm, I'm still not totally sure on what the actual nature of their relationship is. If she's a maid or if she's just like kind of is with her. Um, it's not, it's not, to, it's never like explicitly said, I don't think in the, in the film, but, um, but regardless, she goes with her and the maid lets him in into like the the living room essentially and there's this just great series of just like her going through looking around the room and identifying everything oh yeah no definitely it's a wife this 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 and this and this and she's just all of the information she's taking in and then in enters um annie todd um who's playing funnily enough bert lar uh, uh, the Wizard of Oz, uh, playing opposite a dog named Toto. Here we have Annie Todd playing Toto, a, little, a young girl. And also, uh, Annie Todd would go on to do the uh, the 40s fantasy movie The Bluebird. And then okay. years later in the 70s, George Cukor directed a big budget remake of The Bluebird, uh, co co-financed with uh, Moss Film in, in Russia, which was a big deal because it was the 70s and the Cold War, and this was the first time, it was one, a rare time when a, an American studio and a Russian studio partnered, and it was an all-star affair with Elizabeth Taylor and uh, Cicely Tyson, and so... Was Annie Todd in that? <laughs> no, but, you know, she's in the original, and he directed mm-hmm. the remake. Yeah, okay. Uh, it would have been it would have been neat if like hey I worked with you when you were eight <laughs> or or five or how old however old she would have been she's she can't be more than like eight or nine in this yeah. um, but she is just she's just so lovely and perfect and she's like oh hello who are you and 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 it's just this great scene of Zaza basically having all of the anger within her just kind of seep away and and break down and 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 it's all centered like she's like will you read me the story i promise you there's lots of pictures um and it's the little match girl which oh my word that story is depressing (laughs) well and this there is all through the movie there's allusions to uh zaza's internal uh, maybe not pain, but definitely wounds. Like at the very beginning of the movie, uh, when they arrive at the train station and Anais runs into uh, Monsieur Dufresne, uh, she does this exposition dump where she explains that Zaza is her stepdaughter. Her father, who was her boyfriend, walked out on them and left her to take care of the child that wasn't even hers. Plus, uh, Zaza has a doll that she has kept since childhood for good luck that not doesn't quite use it as a voodoo doll, but like she's... It's a good luck charm. 
yes, sticks pins to get wishes for it. And uh, there is one moment in the, in the, all of the backstage hullabaloo where she meets up uh, a friend who's a chorus dancer named Simone, who is played by Janet Waldo, who would later go on to become a ubiquitous cartoon voice. She was the voice of Judy Jetson. She was the original Josie on Josie and the Pussycats, uh, did uh, hundreds of cartoon voices. And, you know, my my little favorite thing, she did the radio series uh, Meet Corliss Archer with uh, Irene Tedrow, who is the grandmother of my very valued friend Ariel Shudson, the uh, uh, ar- archivist and uh, film historian uh, who uh, has her own uh, wonderful uh, podcast, uh, Archivist's Alley, that uh, has wonderful episodes to be sought out and listened to. But uh, Simone has been fired from her gig and she is talking about the fact of oh i need to earn money for myself and my sister and she just had a kid and you can in zaza you know oh is it a boy or a girl and it's like oh well here i'm going to give you some money and i'm going to try and get you a job so she is definitely got a thing for children because she is still feeling the hurt of her childhood and how hard scrabble it was and she does not want to subject this adorable little girl toto to the same heartbreak that she dealt with right and after this i mean it's a wonderful moment but i'm looking at this and i'm thinking okay zoe akins must have had some serious damn baby fever in the the 30s because almost every story of hers involves (laughs) some sort of broken-hearted child (laughs) yeah i mean yeah i mean we don't know uh she was married to a man for like eight months before he passed away maybe that had something to do with it um yeah i don't know but uh but regardless, finally the mom does uh, come in and and uh, she's like, oh, I'm in the wrong house. Um, but my word, this child, you must be so proud. Um, you and the father uh, must be so proud. And that's, that's act two. That's the revelation. And then we have act three, the fallout. And... At first, it seems like maybe um, uh, uh, Anais is going to set up uh, uh, Zaza with this, um, the Monopoly Man, essentially, which, um, he, and he's like, has these nice di- little diamond earrings that he's, that cost th- 3,500 francs. And, but she's like, no, you know what? Nope, I'm not interested. I'm kind of over this right now. And then we get another montage. It's one of those newspaper flying, dancing on the thing. She's becoming the girl. Um, she's becoming Sarah from Sarah and her son, essentially. And we've got, bam. Three years later, she's yep. in Paris. She's a headliner. Yep. She's 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 made it big. And uh, Bert Lahr is practicing the speech that he's got uh, to give to the press, which is mine for a lovely little bit of comedy as he keeps trying to start it. But no matter what happens, he either forgets or someone interrupts him. Um, but uh, yeah, and um, 
Anais runs back into uh, with uh, uh, the Monopoly, Monopoly man and he's like, hey, uh, what happened? And she's like, nah. Uh, but eventually there's this, and here's a little bit. There's, we get a cameo or small role um, with uh, uh, Frank, is his, I, is his, how do you pronounce his name? Is it Puglia? 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 I don't know how to pronounce his name. But he plays a rug dealer. Um, and you might know him from Casablanca, in which he played a rug merchant. <laughs> so he, he's so he plays the same role. So I'd, I'm, I'd like to think that maybe uh, Casablanca and this film... Um, share a character <laughs> that it's like an interconnected universe man um, but if there's anything in this movie that I was just like eh, I'm not so sure about that it was an Italian American actor playing a, a, some form of Arabic rug merchant who's it's not a huge part of the story um, he basically just serves as a messenger between two characters but anyway well also he's also meant to uh convey that when when he pops up this is when zaza has become the the toast of paris and now anais is living better because you know zaza can give her more money to the point where marchand shows up uh, at the parisian gig and she pretends not to know him you know, mm. she's totally hi-hatting him. I was like, oh, yes, we. I guess we did meet three years ago. Well, I gave you all these diamonds you know, for her. And so it's like, what are you doing? We're talking, all those diamonds weren't worth, you know, you don't give that kind of cheap jewelry to a performer like Zaza. So, <laughs> so the, the merchant is, you know, desperately trying to sell her. The, and it's it's showing just kind of how callous Anais has been self-interest is that you know she's li- she's living high on the hog now but she can't like okay yeah he knows that she's a rich matron now but she can't you know you know just buy the damn rug and you know help a brother out because later on he shows up to deliver the message like well she said she was gonna pay it for a thousand she's not gonna give you a thousand francs she does how about a hundred fine sold <laughs> but wouldn't you know it uh, Dufried is shown back up and he's sent some white roses to uh, the room um, but uh, 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 Lar sends him away but one is left on the table one falls out of the bouquet and so Zaza comes in and talking to the press and he's like hey so she's already told the story a thousand times you had a heartbreak and he's like yeah yeah I did and then she sees the rose and she's like oh and and it basically it just leads to the conclusion of this movie where it's her going out on stage she sees um, Dufresne and she has the orchestra play uh, a different song which is like hello again old friend or whatever well, which is the song that uh uh, Cascart was trying to lure her back to the theater with when they were alone uh, in her retirement. And they they meet eyes, and then he leaves, and she smiles, and it's over. And it's just this very simple, will they or won't they, light romance with some great music. Like, it's just, it's, this is positively delightful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, for 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 once, uh, someone in an adulterous relationship does not have to die to atone for it. Yeah, 
I guess that that I hadn't picked up on that is that you know that that is funny that you know even though it's the the under the code that no one is half no one has to you know die horribly um to atone for their sin it's just that we had this time once and it was nice but um that's all oh and I guess there was also a scene that I forgot to mention where she confronts uh uh Dufresne about it she d- confronted Dufresne just after getting back from Paris and like you you know, you had you had these th- people in your life and you didn't tell me and and it's a remarkably humane scene like there's no violence there's no like screaming it's just like you never told me about your wife and he's like I'm sorry and she cries and it's and it's just this you know sad moment but it's but it's not this this movie Cucor isn't trying to destroy us here he's just trying to give us um a good somewhat emotional time and and i i'm thankful for that we should uh bring up the fact that uh uh, zoe akins is the credited screenwriter but there are a lot of uh uncredited contributions from a writer named jules firthman Right, that he was, uh, con- you know, kind of the equivalent of what Carrie Fisher was in the '90s—a respected uh, script doctor. Where, okay, well, we got this thing, but it it needs punching up. We need some, we need some good laugh lines, and like, oh, g- you know, give it to me, pay me this, and I'll, you know, won't take credit for it. And that, uh, that there's all these movies, you know, going into uh, the late '60s that had his contribution in one fashion or another you know stuff like uh nightmare alley and uh the big sleep and, and uh you know blonde venus so so i'm thinking that maybe you know the i'll give her chocolate might be one of uh, <laughs> a jules firthman line co- uh, uh, contributions uh and uh, also uh zaza has gone through many permutations before this, that Zaza originally started as a play, and in the play, uh, the lovers get back together. Oh, you know, that even after you know the you know the years have passed, uh, they uh, it's it was so difficult to get concrete data on the play because it I guess you know it's old and doesn't get resurrected much anymore, but that. In the original, in the original French play, they uh, they got back together. When it was adapted for America by uh, a, fel- a fellow named, uh, oh, let me let me go back a page. Uh, David Belasco, for which all of the Belasco theaters are named for, and he oh. was also responsible for uh, uh, launching Madame Butterfly as a play in America. Uh, Belasco uh, made uh, significant changes to the story, and one of which was uh, kind of toning down the material. He eliminated the fact that Zaza was a prostitute before she was a music hall girl, and that they that they don't get back together. There was also an opera version uh, that came shortly after the play by uh, the author. Uh, Leon Cavallo, who previously wrote uh, Pagliacci, 
you know, and oddly enough, Belasco did a non-opera version of Pagliacci called Laugh, Clown, Laugh. And in the opera of uh, uh, Zaza, nobody dies, thankfully, <laughs> you know, but uh, the opera doesn't have the epilogue. You know, the, the opera is, you know, Zaza finding out he's married, meeting the little girl, and then confronting her lover whose name is Milo in the opera. And in the opera, Milo has this kind of heel turn where we find out just kind of how sort of conservative and, uh, you know, trying to have everything his own way is and, you know, rebukes her and you know she says no i can't be with you and the, you know the the opera ends with you know the lovers parted and it's like i guess i'll just have to be a music hall singer then um weird i'm not i don't really like that ending <laughs> well thankfully in the 1915 silent version which is considered lost they gave they offered an out where uh at the end of the play uh Dufresne's wife has died and he comes back to try and reconcile with Zaza and Zaza doesn't get back together with him but there is a title card at the end that says love rules the world so they're trying to say no 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 people she is going to get back together with him she just has to demonstrate that she has pride um, <laughs> and then in the 1923 version with Gloria Swanson, uh, the wife dies, and they do get back together. See, yeah, I, I, I don't really like any of these other endings. I don't like like the the wife dying. I don't like the, the them getting back together. I don't really like any of those alterations. Here, it's notable that Zoe Akins did not use the Belasco adaptation of the play. She went right. She went back to the original French edition oh, of the play so while she doesn't you know bring in the prostitution angle she kind of backdoors that by making Anna East oh and in the other versions Anna East or the the Anna East character has a different name and she's an aunt rather than a stepmother okay so so they, so Zoe is kind of bringing it in by Anna East's uh, gold digging nature and like you know always you know, mooching off of uh, Zaza, and you know the the implication is that Zaza has been paying the bills for Anna East all these years. That she probably you know she had this beautiful singing voice as a child, and like made her go out in the street and earn you know shekels for them that way. Sell matches. Yes, that you know, <laughs> exactly, and you know that she loves her, but you know she's she's this selfish drunkard. And, and you know, we don't know if uh, Dufresne's wife is alive or not when he shows up, but that's not the point. That you know, that she's that Zoe has finally figured out how to one up the Hayes office by saying, "Well, no, we're not going to put these people back together. Uh, not just because it's the moral thing to do, but because you know that's not the right way to tell the story. You know that I would." I would wager that uh, you know, that Scorsese probably caught this on the million dollar movie as a kid and that's where he got the idea to keep 
uh, Liza Minnelli and De Niro separated at the end of New York, New York. Spoiler for New York, New York, I guess. Oh, no, it's fine. And, uh, well, there's the big production number at the end of, or pre, the, the penultimate number in New York, New York called Happy Endings, where uh, Liza Minnelli stages this big number, and it's basically supposed to be a surrogate of what could have been if she had stayed with De Niro. Or if you want to use a more modern version, the, the end of La La Land. Right. I mean, that's what I was thinking of when I was watching this, because, like, you know, La La Land, whether I love it or hate it, I still am quite fond of it, is very important to my, you know, getting interested in cinema. So so it's it is the it is the appropriate poignant ending without necessarily being uh you know drenched in pathos yeah i i don't like the uh, i don't like the idea of them getting back together unless it's like in some way where like if if there was going to be an ending where they got back together i would want somehow the wife to be involved of like where she's being okay with this where it's like getting like you know almost subversively progressive or that kind of thing but well in the play uh, what i was able to find is that in the play the wife comes back into the picture because she's been estranged from the the Dufresne character but now that she's found out that oh he's popular with the ladies again I'm going to come and you know get you know get what's mine you know because you know now he now I find him attractive and I'm thinking you know in the French play where they get back together at the end it's just like we're French we're adults we'll figure we'll figure out this polyamorous uh, situation (laughs) but I Regardless, I I really do think that the ending here works. I think, yeah, if if anyone had died or if there was any, like, you know, going back and, like, doing something, like, behind someone else's back, I think it would have, I think it would have defeated the purpose of the character growth. Um, And so, yeah, this this film, it it works. It's pleasant. um, It's full of just really lovable characters. There's no one here that you hate. Um, even, even the Marchand character, you still, you still like him or, or the, the Floriana character, you still like him. No one's, no one's angry at anyone in this movie. That's what, outside of the, let, I'll give her chocolates moment. Um, it's just, people are struggling and trying to get by and trying to sort out their feelings and they do, or they don't, or it's, that's, it's just life. It's. This movie is remarkably uh, uh, less melodramatic than most of what we've seen. And I would wager, you know, this is just me speculating and spitballing, but I I have to wonder if the fact that this was a Paramount movie and not an MGM movie might have Mm -hmm. something to do with it. Because we've talked in previous episodes about how uh, I felt like Paramount in the 30s was like the most... uh, the sexy. Yes, of all the studios. And that, you know, you, you got the impression that, oh, people actually get it on here. You know, they don't just go through the, the, the pretty trappings. You know, that, that MGM would be all about having the, the beautiful, lavish costumes, but we've got to have, you know, this big, sad ending to it all. Mm-hmm. And, there's, <laughs> and Paramount is like, Nah, let's just let's just have some fun. Get in, get out. Let's do this. All right. 
Um, so that is, um, that is Zaza, the Zazaiest of all Zazas. Um, <laughs> it's it's a great movie. Um, you can you can find it if you look for it hard enough. Uh, that's what I'll say. Um, I this should be more readily available. I don't know why it's not. I mean, it's a Q-Core film. You'd figure that it would be pretty readily available. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can think of is that maybe there might be an issue with the original play where uh, they have to renew the IP rights to it. Mm. That's what's happened to a lot of movies from the 30s and 40s that are based off of books or stage plays that you know they didn't sign a deal for perpetuity and the author dies and the estate you know, says, well, you know, you have to pay us again. And yeah. the studio are thinking... Well, we're not going to make anything off of this to begin with, let alone yeah. pay you. So, uh, the 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 version we saw was from USA Network in the '80s. So that okay. must be how long it's been out of circulation since then. Um, but Universal has it now with all the other pre-48 Paramounts. Uh, they've generally been good about trying to preserve them, even if they can't make them readily available. So. It's Claudette Colbert and George Cukor, yes. It's surprising that it's not in wider circulation, but I don't see that happening forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we will see Claudette Colbert again when we get to uh, uh, the Dorothy Arzner film. Is it Honor Among Lovers that she's in? Or is it Anybody's Woman? I forget. It's one of those two. I keep getting those two confused since I haven't seen them yet. Um, But regardless, and Honor Among Lovers is another uh, Zoe Aikens film. Um, I'm wondering if maybe that's why a lot of Arzner films aren't as available is because of that adaptation, like IP play. I would not, I would not rule that out. Um, Like, uh, you know, before AT&T decimated Warner archive, (laughs) uh, the, the, the fine people who were there were generally forthcoming about what, would hold up a movie and you know on more than one occasion they said uh it's the literary rights you know something like uh ceiling zero with uh james cagney or uh letty linton with joan crawford they have said they've stated flat out uh it's it's the underlying book rights okay all right then so um next time on friends of dorothy we're going to finally be getting to the old maid um this is the this is the this is the play that Zoe Akins won the Pulitzer Prize for. We're going to be watching the 1939 adaptation of it, um, which she did not write, um, but it was adapted um, from her from her play. But we're also going to be looking at a 1954 um, radio play which uh starred um the original um actresses from the from the I, I don't know if it was Broadway but from the theatrical production um in in a radio play of The Old Maid um and so yeah that's that's what we're going to be looking at next time and that will probably be it for Friends of Dorothy for the time being um we're pretty we're almost uh done in our collection of Dorothy Arzner films and once we have them all together, then uh, then we'll be starting to get back to those. Um, so we'll probably have a couple weeks, um, a few weeks of uh, a break from from podcasting. Um, 
podcasting uh, uh, Mark and I, but uh, we've been doing it weekly and it's been great um, whether or not the films have been. Um, and for the most part, they have been great. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, pretty much everything we've talked about has been decent to some degree or another, except for last week. We always have a scintillating conversation, even if the film is not. Yeah, I mean, and I forgot to mention that, like, I actually really loved the score from The Toy Wife. Um, I... The, the like the theme was really good and I, I like the orchestration but it's just like I just it couldn't even I, I totally blanked on talking about it because it was just like <laughs> this movie's so bad but uh, anyway that's that's it for uh, Friends of Dorothy this time uh, Mark why don't you why don't you plug yourself oh uh, I'm on Twitter at T-H-E underscore H-O-Y-K the hoik uh, the phonetic pronunciation of my name and I'm, you know, constantly uh, retweeting uh, other people I find important and interesting and adding my own two cents to the mix. I have a blog. The, addre- the address is projectorhasbeendrinking.blogspot.com, uh, where I've uh, written uh, very uh, personal to me uh, things about uh, film and culture and, uh, occasion- and occasional interviews and retrospectives. The New Beverly will be uh, reopening in June, and you can find uh, the, my essays at their blog at thenewbev.com slash blog. You'll have to hit the uh, like more button to eventually get to them. And uh, since we've been talking about uh, a lot of uh, really great uh, female characters over uh, this uh run of episodes, I want to give a book recommendation. Uh, it, this is Wolf Women and Phantom Ladies, Female Desire in 1940s U.S. Culture by Stephen Dillon, uh, where uh, you know, we, you know, we think a lot about uh, how you know, the, you know, women t- in today is you know, acceptable to be pursuing men, but you know, we, a lot of these really good uh, 30s pre-code films and even some of the post-code films show uh, women being the aggressors and the initiators. And this is an interesting study as to uh, how society perceived that concept in the 40s in, uh, you know, humorous and serious manner. So, you know, some more uh, uh, side reading for you. All right. Um as for me, I'm not plugging my Twitter right now because uh, they're just some jerks that I'm just trying to not deal with. Um, so, but uh, you can find us on Twitter, the Patreon, uh, or not Patreon, the the Screens Margins uh, on Twitter at Screens Margins. We have a Patreon. If you're listening to this, you know that because you're subscribed. Thanks, by the way, uh, because we really appreciate the support. Um, just l- putting this out there again, just because we've got a new series. It's all about Ovid, and the series all about Ovid is all about Ovid. Um, where Whitney Seibold and I are talking about what we've seen on Ovid, and I'm already just just having a blast with that. Um, last night I watched a five and a half hour uh, Lav Diaz film, and so Whitney and I are going to be talking about that tomorrow, and I, I can't wait. Um, so uh, all right, um, that'll pretty much do it for for today. Uh, thank you very much for listening, because we know that there's a poll these days when it comes to films to focus only on the big and the mainstream stuff. So thanks for spending time with us today. 
here on the margins. Good night. Uh-huh.